Hi filmmakers, Jason Brubaker with Filmmaking Stuff where we show you how to make, market, and sell your movie without the middleman. I'm talking to you from sunny Southern California and I'd like to welcome you to the show. Today we're on with Ron Newcomb, an independent producer who, in my opinion, has bucked the system and has created in, in a very entrepreneurial way uh, his own movie making business. And I'm always excited to talk with Ron because you know, he's one of these guys that's never asked permission and he's figured out a way to make it happen. And I think there's a lot to be gained um, from all the things that Ron has to talk about. So, hey, Ron, welcome to the show. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, Jason. I know. I know we've we've talked in the past and you and I have been uh, friendly with each other via email um, and following each other on, through all the social media channels. And it's always exciting to see what you're up to. So what are you working on these days? So right now, my studio called the Ford Studios here in uh, rural Virginia, we're just outside of the Washington, D.C. area, we've been commissioned to do a new episodic series called Daily Bread, and it's kind of this post-apocalyptic uh, series, more of a drama where these four women get caught in this sun flare and this post-apocalyptic event occurs. But um, that's the latest and greatest that I'm working on. But then um, my business partners, Skip Living and myself, are always working on kind of our next thing as well. And so we certainly have uh, several plans to kind of move the ball down the field with our own uh, stories and IPs. Um, we Last year, I, did a, uh, uh, I was able to film and complete and distribute a Kickstarter project that I did called The Rangers. And so we're considering right now of what the Rangers 2 might look like, and that's kind of been the, the latest and greatest element. Talk to me a little bit more about your business. You guys, and, and since I've been talking with you, you've produced quite a few different projects. Where, what are you up to now in terms of um, things that you've produced? You know, I, I really buy into the mantra of what, what you talk about, and that is, you know, your business is your audience, and, and I really hold to that. You know, if you get your stuff out on Amazon and Netflix, they own the audience, and we really don't know, you know, who is watching, how often, um, and, and the important thing about that is, is one, you want to have a relationship with them, uh, but two, you can also then go back to them and kind of continue that relationship by selling them on to kind of the next project, and so we are constantly are in a state of audience building. And I, I definitely know that's, that's part of that, uh, where we're at right now. And one of the ways that we've chosen to do that at the Ford Studios are these short vignettes. And we believe in this mantra called Together Filmmaking. Our goal is sustainable filmmaking for all. You know, sustainability for, um, for everyone, you know, for every filmmaker out there. And that's really the objective. It isn't that one person runs off and gets rich. It's that, you know, it seems to me that an indie filmmaker should be able to own a house, two cars, you know, have a family and, um, you know, not have to worry about it. But that doesn't seem to be the plight of the, of the indie. It, it feels very opposite of that. So that's one of the things we've set out to do here at The Forge. And what we do is, when I first got into the film business in the 90s, I tried to get on people's sets. And it was very weird that I couldn't get... Now, this was during the film age, so there wasn't a lot of stuff going on, a ton of it. And if it was, it was some good stuff. But I couldn't get on anybody's set. I was never invited onto a set, to PA or, or otherwise. And so I said, man, if I ever get my own sets, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not do that. And so we invite people onto our sets, and we have this watch, learn, do approach. 
And the watch, of course, is, is to watch and support our content. The learn is we provide engaging learning opportunities. And the do is we invite people out on the sets to actually get their hands dirty and to get involved. Because a lot of times I find it's, I, I, in the, at least in the D.C. area, there are what I like to call film enthusiasts. They're not necessarily filmmakers, but they like the idea of film. And so you don't really know if you're a filmmaker until you get out on set and you put in the, you know, the long hours and the hard hours and you're exhausted. And at the end of it, I tell everybody, you're either going to find out if you're a filmmaker or you're going to find out that you're not a filmmaker. And so that's really our do approach. And we do that through these short films. We do, we try to do uh, weekend shorts, one short a quarter. Um, we try to film about five pages a day, so 10 pages in total. But, you know, last, the last short we did, a steampunk Western sci-fi called Outlawed Faith, we probably had about 60 to 70 people out on set. And we really wow. use that to teach, train, and educate people and get them excited about what we're doing. But really the goal is to, it really is about people-driven. You know, a feature, of course, has to be about the project. It's the, you know, the mantra of it's just business. But a short can be different, and we use that to then invite people out and engage our fan base to, re to really have them come out on set and have that kind of unique experience if they want it to discern whether or not, again, if they're a filmmaker or not. And then the great thing is, of course, you cherry-pick the, the ones that, that really have it and have that zeal for filmmaking, and we invite them on to our, our larger projects. And we're trying to do um, around a feature or at least what I like to call a 90-minute offering about every other year now. Um, because the reason I call it a 90-minute offering and not just a feature is it, the indie world has seemed to change so much, and it changes all the time. You know, if we, you and I talked three years ago, it would be all about web series. Right. And now, you know, I don't know that shorts are still kind of a thing, but the, a true web series, I'm not sure that it's, you know, that's a, kind of a, a, a thing that everybody is kind of pushing towards. And so I want to be flexible enough um, but I also want it to be able to be monetized, and it seems to me that 90 minutes of content, be it a feature or be it you know, three 30-minute increments, it's a way to monetize it as well. So you still see that, and, and then you mentioned that, but you're also mentioning that you do all of these shorts. So what do you do with the shorts to monetize, uh, or is it just to raise awareness for your company? You know, it's a little bit of both. So on one hand, some of our shorts we put out for free and just kind of say, hey, look, this is a, um, a Forge program short film that we did together. Check it out. The team's able to share it. Everybody gets an IMDb credit uh, and that. But then also we do have a channel. Um, and, you know, a, a one of the ways that you're constantly, we're constantly thinking about marketing, we, we're developing this channel on a plat platform that uh, your fans are probably very familiar with, VHX.TV. It's a way to monetize. Uh, they, they do a very good back end with the credit card payment processing and things of that nature. And we've created a channel on there, and we put the content out there as well. Now, many times um, we put the content up there early so that our fans can see it before anybody else. But it's not like it's you know two hours of content. It's usually around 10 to 15 minutes of content. So that in and of itself isn't the the monetization factor. People know at our level what they're really investing is they're, they're investing in us. They're not necessarily paying for a short so much as they're investing to keep these activities and these opportunities 
going. Because one of the things that I have a personal mantra for is to uh, the training and education component of it, and primarily around the business of filmmaking. I've been fortunate enough to speak at um, some colleges and uh, a couple other opportunities, and it's interesting how much I walk away from there and the students and things come up and say, wow, you know, I've never heard kind of the business side. They talk about film theory. They talk about um, they, they talk about, you know, how to, how to work a camera, the technical, how to edit in, in uh, Adobe, but they don't talk about the business side of filmmaking. It, I kind of akin it to when we were all in high school, you never learned how to write a check. You know, it's your, your parents have to end up teaching you. You just fumble through it and find out on your own. Um, that there's not a lot of people talking about the film business side of things, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, I like filmmaking stuff is you, you really do kind of um, make sure that we're, it's not just a hobby. What I believe your fans are, if I had to guess, it's, you know, people that are aspiring for it to be a, a business, and that, that also gets me uh, excited. Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at it um, from, from my perspective, I started blogging, to talk about all the types of ways that you can monetize this product that you're creating. And, and so when I hear what you're saying in 2016, you know, I started filmmaking stuff back in 2008 and I, and I, I may have been talking about things a little bit ahead of, you know, the, the trend. Um, but that said, you know, there's several filmmakers and you being one of them who embodies this whole entrepreneurial filmmaking mindset. And, and you said some things interesting. I mean, despite the fact that you always go for, you know, what's the business and how are we going to promote and how are we going to create this ecosystem of people who know us, know our work and come back for more. You know, one of the big pain points that I get from early filmmakers is this idea that they're trying to put together a crew. And I think um, in, in just this, you know, in, in, in your brief telling of what you do, you've kind of mastered that. Can you talk a little bit more about um, because there's a lot of filmmakers listening to this that don't live in Los Angeles. They don't have... Yeah maybe the resources, and you're a guy that's outside of the system. You're a guy that's, frankly, way far away from Los Angeles. How is it that you've been able to put together crews, and on top of that, crews that aren't flaky? Because I get, I get this email a lot. Hey, Jason, I'm trying to put together a short film. I don't know anybody. The people that said they were going to work with me, they, did, they didn't show up. Um, how have you overcome that stuff? Yeah, you know, that is a challenge, isn't it? And and certainly one of the ways that I have done is, since I've been working a, around the D.C. area film community since the 90s, I, I constantly keep my thumb on the pulse of the film community. We, there's great organizations that we have around here um, that are national and even some of them international organizations that, that would be to be very specific I would reach out to, such as Women in Film and Video. Um, I would definitely reach out to, to, to uh, that organization. I also belong to another group locally here called the Virginia Producers Alliance. Um, that's another one. Every state has, a, or just about every state, has a film office, and certainly they have access to people. And there's almost no university out there that doesn't have some type of film program these days. So certainly trying to garner uh, some potential college uh, people to come out and, and, you know, give a hand on a set, you could create that opportunity. Now, the, the challenge is, is that what we have to do as business uh, people is you have to truly create that opportunity and do what you say you're going to do. Have a fun set, have a safe set, 
you know, truly feed people. That's our biggest expenses, Indies. Have insurance and give the IMDb credit. And if you promise a copy, make sure that you do that and do it accessible um, that people can download it, such as Dropbox and stuff. I'm amazed at how many indie filmmakers say one thing and do something else or don't follow through on their end, and they're surprised people don't want to come back and work on their sets. So I think as you start to develop um, and do these things, that you will find people that will start to um, you know, rally around you. There's, not everybody can be a leader. That's just the, the truth of the matter. You know, I think we can look through kind of history, and you could see these, in, these individuals, and not everybody can be a producer. And so the producers out there, they're able to somehow rally people around them because people know, like, wow, that person's going to do what they say they're going to do. They're going to do it to excellence. I'm going to have a good time, and I'm going to get some great experience uh, for it. People are willing to come out and try it out, um, but they won't come back if you don't set those set things. The other thing, this is the other motivation for us to do short films is that it creates more opportunity, but it's also a very low commitment level. That's why we do it just on a weekend because people are willing to usually give you two days and it's a sprint. It's not a long, you know, marathon run like a feature is. Right. It's a sprint. And I've done that, right? I've filmed over 30 days and it's laborious, but you know, just a two days, you say, hey, come out and will, will you script supervise for me for two days? People are willing to do that. And then you then can cherry pick the good ones out and start to pull people around. If you're already going to do your feature and you, and you can't rally crew, I would take a step back and I would start to look at who's in my area, what organizations, who's doing stuff already, and get involved in, with something yourself or do a short film uh, and do it. I do believe that, of course, um, if you have the money, you won't have that problem. That you know you can kind of throw money at the problem, and it would solve it. And certainly, if you're going to hire professionals and people that um, you know are at scale and all these things, the film offices would be able to help you get the right people. But what I believe I hear your audience saying, what I've said many times, is trying to find my own rhythm, my own stride. And, you know, every weekend that's a beautiful weekend, I look outside and say, man, why am I not filming? And, you know, we can, we can keep those weekends full if we all do it together. That's why we have that, you know, kind of together filmmaking mantra. But that would definitely be something I do is uh, see what's around, get in the organ involved in the organizations and the film offices. Yeah, that, that sounds great. And, and, and what's your thought on, on starting some of these small projects? Because the other part of that whole challenge of getting crew is sometimes I get filmmakers and they're like, oh man, I need 30 people to help me with this film. And I'm like, well, what are you filming? You know, what are you <laughs> yeah. possibly creating that you need 30 people for your first short film? And sometimes I think it's an excuse. Can you speak a little bit to being resourceful? Yeah, you know, um, you do want to get, uh, at least we do, we want to get people involved. You want to give everybody an opportunity, but isn't that the truth? You know, it's, it's not a, um, it's not a show, you know, a production, a set is not a show. And the more people you have, the more people you have to manage. And frankly, the more people you have to feed and it's going to affect your budget and all these things. So you do want, you don't want just where it's just you and a buddy, you're holding the boom and your buddy's holding the camera and you get an act. You don't want it to be that. I do think there's enough people out there wanting and willing to get involved, but I think there can be certainly overkill where you look around, you just get people standing around. Cause that's the other thing. If you invite somebody onto your set, they're highly skilled, but you don't have anything for them to do. They're not going to come back again. That's kind of the other negative. And then, and then again, like I said, 
you're going to have to feed them. So, you know, a great call sheet will kind of help you be able to narrow down and discern what exactly you need. And I actually have a list of must-have crew members and, you know, nice-to-have crew members. And, you know, the other ones simply just aren't needed at times. Like, I don't know that I need a second AD on every, on, on every set, you know, this type of thing. And there's a lot of times people can, you can do double duty um, on stuff. And then also, I do think, now we do at the Forge, we primarily do fantasy and sci-fi, so I certainly understand an epic big production. But I do think there's something to be said. A, um, a teacher out there, a guy named Dove Simmons, uh, talks about, um, you know, the one location, kind of like the stage play setup. And that's why horrors are so great from a producer point of view, because usually it's in one location, just a few actors, and, you know, it keeps the budget low, um, and it keeps it minimized. So your shot list isn't crazy. For your first couple ones, don't go so epic um, and don't go such high scale. Do something that is realistic that you know you can nail. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I, I, I know Dove out here. He, he's such a great guy and such an institution and in, in sort of the educational side of things. Um, and he was one of the first teachers that I think really cut through the BS and, and let people know that it's okay to not have $50 million to make a Hollywood scale budget. But as you're saying this, um, I it, it didn't. I definitely heard that you work on fantasies and science fiction uh, films, which is incredibly challenging. And and that's the part that always um, makes me delighted to talk to you because you know achieving some of the things that you've achieved shouldn't be possible. Yeah, you know, you you have to do. You kind of have to work up to that because I do feel that. We kind of know some great filmmakers in our area. I know if I need, you know, a, two cameras or a drone shot, I know who to call. And I do believe that we beneficially help each other out enough and we're, we have this rapport enough that I can call people out and kind of say, hey, would you be willing to come in with me? And the other thing is, if and when I can pay people, I do. Again, it might not always be to scale, but it's that sustainability thing. And, you know, if they're coming with a ton of gear and they're having to drive and all these things, um, just offering to pay for somebody's cash, for heaven's sake, goes a long way. Um, but I try to do more than that, right? I try to do as much as I can when I can. But these, specifically these fantasies and, and these sci-fi, now that we have, one of the ways I was able to do it, of course, was by the fans allowing us to via Kickstarter. I think that's one of the great things about crowdfunding is that it actually will green light your project or not. And so it's not like I spent money on people's salaries. We spent the money towards production. So now we have, you know, like furs and swords and bows and, you know, fantasy props and things um, that we can, of course, repurpose, reuse, and reutilize. And then the sci-fi things, if you look at our trailer for Outlawed Faith, I know some some of the fans out there are immediately going to see their Nerf guns, and you're right, <laughs> they are. You know, we simply just uh, made them look cool, made them look good. You add a little bit of uh, CGI, and boom, you have yourself a laser laser gun. So I I love the fact that fantasy and science fiction. You know, it, of course, it all goes to great story. You have to have a great story to start with, 
but these are to me are underserved markets that are so expensive to the studios that they there's never going to be enough of it so there's some great filmmakers out there guys like uh zombie orpheus and aerostorm entertainment and and these guys that are producing this content but you can't feed the beast enough there's not enough content out there and so we see each other as allies um not competitors and i love that also there's kind of something to be said about uh, people that do fantasy and sci-fi feel this kinship uh, together with it. Well, I'm, I'd be interested to see any of your future time travel movies. Um, I, I, I love that stuff and I love the creativity. Uh, n- not that I want to uh, sway you in one direction or another, but I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, you got it. You'll be the first one. I give you an early look. Appreciate it. Well, talk to me a little bit about Kickstarter here. I get a lot of filmmakers that tell me that Kickstarter is dead or it doesn't work. The whole idea yeah. of crowdfunding's over and you're begging and all that kind of stuff. And you're an interesting guy, just for the listeners. You've actually raised money the traditional way and you've also been successful in crowdfunding. How is it that you're so successful and other people aren't? Man, it is crowdfunding is so difficult. I so hear exactly what you just said. I hear the same thing. And guess what? I feel the same thing. You're having to go back to the trough and beg your family and uh, friends to come in and give a hand. Um, but the ones that I've been able to that have really done well uh, do hit to a tipping point where what I try to tell people is when in doing talks about crowdfunding is you're never going to get to the amount of people that you need to. You have to focus um, to get to the people that can get to the masses. So focus your, your energy on trying to get to those allies, those people that have a bigger audience. Um, to do that. That's the only way crowdfunding is really going to get to a point of it um, that that really makes sense. And so do you mean influencers go out to people that have a large audience and say, listen, I really, I'm doing this project. I know that you like this type of stuff. Would you, would you mind getting involved? Is this interesting to you? How how do you approach those influencers? How how do you You approach them? You have to have that. um, It's all about leverage. You know, even in Hollywood, we have that. And one, of course, the big one uh, is the obvious is the monetary benefit to them. But um, we what we did in the Rangers, we cast a YouTuber. And so a guy that has a really robust uh, YouTube presence doing miniatures. It's they're called mini wargaming guy named David Norquist. Uh, aspiring actor himself, I gave him a good, meaty role, a great opportunity. How often as an actor do you get to do a fantasy? Uh, and so I, I gave him kind of all these points, and, and you know, I, I tried to, any barrier that he had, I tried to answer it and come up with a counter to it before I even went to him. And then once he read the script, boom, he was in. And th- those are the types of influencers that I think do pay uh, and yield dividends. I mean, I can actually see the analytics when we put a video up that's just ours versus when we put a video up and he's the primary person in the video. Um, I can see a spike. I can see a difference. So you have to think about these influencers. A lot of times us indies don't want to um, say what the studios do right. And the studios have been doing this for a long time, and they do things right. And although we might not be able to afford an A-lister, we still need to think leverage. We need to think um, – another guy named Jerome Corchon talks about distribution, and he talks about building a, a film's pedigree. And you know, your pedigree is do you have a named writer, director, talent? And, and named in the sense of 
the studio's level defines it a certain way, but we as indies can also define it because one of the things, again, that I love that you talk about is the ability to mobilize your fan base. And if your fan base, uh, for instance, like ours, loves fantasy, and by proxy they may love these, these uh, mini wargaming miniatures, having a guy like David Norquist involved in our project, and then we've also had a great rapport with his company, Mini Wargaming, suddenly you find yourself this great mutual benefit, and we both get to mobilize and empower our audience, and we've seen a significant increase as a result of that. So don't focus, when you're doing crowdfunding, don't focus on man, i got to try to get to, you know, 20,000 people focused on who are the few people that I can get to either be a part of this or to get excited about the project enough that they'll share it that they get it out there. Yeah, I, I think that that's great. I mean, you, you know, my background, a few years ago, I worked with that company and we put together the marketing of that film Camp Dakota, Campy Camp Comedy starring three famed YouTubers. And I think, you know, you've reached a very similar conclusion in your thinking. What we're talking about here is the ability for you living outside of Hollywood, creating your own mini movie studio, and along the same lines, you're casting people of influence. And I think you and I, when we have these conversations and we're constantly talking about building our audience, I think what you just revealed is telling it, and it's something that's kind of evolved my thinking it isn't so much building your own audience, but it's tapping into people that already have the audience, that already have yeah. the influence. And, and kind of, it, it's sort of like being able to sit with the cool kids at lunch. Um, suddenly, you're part of that crowd when you cast them, and, and a bit of their notoriety rubs off on you. And then when you go on to produce your next projects, you're also a trusted um, provider of content that people appreciate. So, you know, I commend you for, for, for getting behind. Um, the, the casting and, and thinking about it that way. To your yeah. point, you know, as indies, I, I was just in a Twitter conversation with somebody that was really, um, in a way, defending the fact that we should only ever cast actors that, you know, frankly know how to act. And I wish, you know, the market supported that. But at the end of the day, people want to look for people that they like and trust and enjoy. And casting those folks in your film be it for the appropriate role, I think is, is prudent business. Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, that's exactly right. Because, um, you know, at the end of the day, it is about mobilizing your audience. And are they going to mobilize around, you know, your great story or your script? If they, if, you can ne if they never hear about it, they never will. And so one of the ways to do that, of course, is casting these influencers. And I do believe that you're right on, that the, that the data kind of shows that. You know, I've been taking notes of my filmmaking process since the 90s, since I started this thing, the late 90s, um, when, when, again, digital was just starting to come on to see if people really could take this serious or not. And I've been working on a lot of the things that you and I talk about, just writing down thoughts and all these things. And before I knew it, I started to get invited to speak. And then I had so much information that I've actually been working on a book about the business side of filmmaking. Because again, like I said earlier, when I would leave these talks, I would hear a lot of people ask me about the business side of filmmaking. So I've been working on this book um, that I've titled Hollywood Outsider, The Independent Filmmaker's Guide to Making Movies. Kind of a long title, but a descriptive one that shows that I do believe you can do sustainable filmmaking 
um, outside of the Hollywood uh, um, area, and but you need to be able to do it from a business point of view. Like, you know, basic questions like how do you sell and set up an LLC? How do you take on angel investors? What does an investor need um, to set up? I had to navigate those waters because you're right. I, I've done it through crowdfunding, um, been able to fund stuff, but I've also done it through private equity um, and have raised it. So hopefully this book I've been working on has kind of a lot of those questions answered um, in it. The A to Z of filmmaking, everything I've ever learned, I've kind of put in this book. And ironically, I'm actually running a, uh, a Kickstarter on that, uh, on that right now. To really, the, one of the reasons I'm, I'm doing the Kickstarter around the book is before it was just kind of a book of, for myself, but I had enough people asking me about if I was ever going to publish it that I thought, well, you know what, I don't know. And one of the things I love about crowdfunding, I know there's a lot of challenges with crowdfunding, and I do wonder, you know, is, is it the same as it was even a year ago? And I do see that it's changing and, and, and so forth. But I love crowdfunding because the audience, the fans, will decide if they're going to greenlight your project or not. And so the question of this book, should I finish it? I'm about 70% done. Should I take the time to finish it and do it? Would people really use it, buy it? Would they benefit from it? Or, frankly, should I – if they're not, I'd rather be out there filming. And so this really kind of is a quest – of should I finish the book or not? And I think the same thing can be said about your different projects. If you're not getting any traction at all, um, you know, I would discern and, and start to look at, one, my story, my script, and then my marketing. Am I, am I articulating my message uh, properly enough? And so crowdfunding can be a tool. I don't think it's the only tool, and I don't know, you know, if you can do a full, raise your full, uh, you know, budget on there. Although I do have friends that have done that. A company, again, friends of mine called Zombie Orpheus, they've been able to do it a couple times. But but it goes back to your number one thing, Jason, is they own their audience. They know their audience. They've been able to not only feed that audience, but then ha- have a conversation with that audience. And then these guys do it so interesting that at the end of the day, they'll actually put their content out for free. Interesting. At yeah. the end of it. Well, because um, in a which, sense they're pre-selling it, right? They're, they're proving their concept. They're pre-selling it, right. Like, just like you're doing with the book. Um, we're we're going to have to wrap this up, although I feel like I could talk with you all day, and I'm sure every filmmaker listening to this wants to send you 50 emails um, and, <laughs> and also find out about your book. And, and by the way, um, my opinion is you should finish it because uh, <laughs> it sounds fantastic. Thanks. Um, so give us some information on how we can reach out to you and, and stay in contact. Yeah, you know, I, I definitely believe that I'm a student too, and I'm one amongst, and if there is anything I can help with, um, the easiest thing, of course, you know, we live in the social media age. You can find me right on Facebook, and I'm going to friend everybody until I'm up to the max. Uh, Ron Newcomb, you can go on Facebook. But certainly our website, The Forge Studios, theforgestudios.com. My information's on there as well as the video and, and films I've done. Uh, the one film um, called Rise of the Fellowship, I was able to get on the shelves of Walmart and sold in 19 countries. And then our documentary, Made in USA, we got some TV deals. So I've been, I can talk about distribution and marketing and all those things. Um, and then the easiest email uh, 
to get me. But my phone number, of course, is on the site as well. You're welcome to reach out in any way. Is, uh, my email is rnukumva at gmail.com. That's probably the easiest way to just email me directly. I'm currently in production on stuff, so it might take me a little bit, but I'm happy to engage people and get those questions answered because I do believe that uh, when the tide rises, we, all, we can all go with it. It doesn't just have to be a few of us. Well, Ron, I appreciate you coming on the show, and to all you filmmakers listening, take action and make your movie now.